Don't you love these scripture readings? They're great. Hey, welcome, uh, Emmanuel. If you're in the building here or if you're online, welcome. Last week we had some technical difficulties, so we weren't able to live stream, but the sermon is on the website, so if you want to go back to catch up what you missed last week. Last week we talked about the cure for backsliding, and um, this Sunday, today, I want to talk to you about how to pray when you're in a crisis. Now, we're in a larger series in the summertime um, called um, Counterculture, How God Shapes Us for a Better Future. And one of the primary ways, of course, that God shapes you and me is through our prayer life. God uses our conversations with Him and Him talking to us. He uses a conversation between two people who love each other, that's what prayer is, to change things and to change us. That's because we're different than the culture. This is what this series is about, countercultural. We are holy. Holy doesn't mean perfect. It means different. We handle things different. When the world or unbelievers, when they're in a crisis, sometimes they'll go to family and friends. Nothing wrong with that. But they'll go to family and friends to try to figure out what to do. Sometimes they'll check out their horoscope. Sometimes they'll tune into Oprah and try to figure out what Oprah has to say, and then they'll make their decision-making process on that. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to be countercultural means that the first thing we do when we don't know what to do is to go to God in prayer. And that's what today is about. I want to show you how to pray in a crisis. And we're living through a crisis right now, aren't we? Um, we're living through a pandemic. We're living through social unrest. And so if there's ever a moment in which you and I could learn how to pray effectively in the midst of crisis, today's the day. Now, we saw last week that uh, Moses and the Israelites were in a national crisis because of their idolatrous worship of a golden calf. God had decided to bring judgment on the Israelites. In fact, our scripture this morning tells us that God just decided hey, I'm going to wipe these Israelites out, and I'm going to start all over again with Moses, and I'm going to make him into a great nation. That is reminiscent of another Bible story from Genesis, Noah and the Ark. It's a Noah in the Ark moment where God says, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going to continue my plan, but I'm going to do it through Moses instead. Now, something happened, though. The course of Israel's history was changed because Moses prayed. He said to God, I want you to relent. I don't want you to do what you've determined in your heart to do. So I want to show you four ways to pray in a crisis, but before I do that, I want to talk about two things that you need to know about praying in general that are going to help you to pray in faith. So the first is this. Your prayers really do make a difference. You ever wonder when you're praying, I don't know, am I getting anywhere? Is God really hearing? I mean, it's been weeks or months or years that you've been praying for something. And you just kind of maybe flag in your faith and think, is, is it making any difference what I'm saying? It does. Your prayers do make a difference. Chapter 32, verse 14 says, So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he had threatened to bring on his people. Now, Bible scholars struggle mightily with this passage of Scripture because there's a huge theological debate. And the huge theological debate runs down to one thing. Can God change his mind? 
And it goes like this. If God can change his mind, that must mean that he's not sovereign or his will is not perfect because if he changes his mind, that means that he could improve on his will. And theologians say, no, 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 it's not possible for God to change his mind. But theologians, have you noticed, love to ask unanswerable questions. While not minimizing important theological debates, I think that they missed the point completely because in a practical, everyday level where you and I live way, the Bible is full of examples of God changing the direction that he was going to go in because somebody asked him to. For example, Genesis chapter 18. God told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom because of their great wickedness. But Abraham challenged God by these words. Genesis 18, 23, 24, and 25. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in that city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Abraham was able to whittle God down from 50 righteous people to 10 righteous people. You know why he did that? Because his nephew Lot and his family lived in that city. And God was saying, I want to save Lot and his family from destruction. Now here's an important question. Is God big enough and sovereign enough that he can change direction because you asked him to and still arrive at the same place he intended to? The answer is yes. You and I do it all the time. We have something, most of you have it in your pocket right now, called a GPS on your smartphone. Okay, a couple months ago, Holly and I were traveling around to several senior adult homes, and we were just going from senior adult home to senior adult home. Many of you in this room, Holly and I have stopped by. We've called you up. We're sitting in your driveway, and we say to you, hey, we'd like to just pray a prayer of blessing over you. And so we don't want you to come out of your house. You know, we don't want you to be in contact with us. We're just in your driveway, and we want to bless you and pray for you. So we were doing that. We were going from place to place, and I'm using our, my, our GPS. And after I left, actually the Schuberts, after I left the Schuberts, we were going about seven or eight miles away down to Ambler area to visit another family. And I put the GPS, the, the address in, and it said an hour and 40 minutes. And I thought, this GPS, it's, it's going to recalculate in a minute. I'm just going to go. And so it was taking me to parking lots. It was taking me to parks. It was telling me to turn down into neighborhoods. And I thought, what is wrong? After 20 minutes of this, following the GPS, I looked down and realized, oh, it's on walking settings. Put it back on the car setting, 12 minutes. See, your GPS can be on a car setting, it can be on a walking setting, it can be on a bicycle setting, it can be on a train, public transportation setting. But here's the point, that the directions may be different depending upon the mode of transportation, but you're all going in the same direction and you will arrive at the same place. You know what prayer is? Prayer is changing God's mind so that he goes a different direction, but that doesn't mean the destination isn't going to end the same. Here, in this passage of Scripture, what happened? God said to Moses, forget it, I'm going to wipe the Israelites out, but guess what? I'm going to start over again with you, and I'm still going to make a great nation. 
God is sovereign, and his big-picture plans will not be frustrated. But there are probably thousands of different ways to get there, and our prayers influence those ways. Here's the point. Every prayer you pray makes a difference with God to someone, somewhere, in some way. You may or may not see it in your lifetime, but your prayers will change you. They will change your family, your neighborhood, your friendships, your community, and even in this moment, the nation. Keep on asking, Jesus said. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because everybody who keeps on asking will eventually receive. Everybody who keeps on seeking, they'll eventually find. Everybody that keeps on knocking, the door will eventually be opened. The second thing you need to remember in prayer is your prayers are directly related to your relationship with God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 13 and 14, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, so what's it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? One word, alignment. You know what alignment is? Alignment is when you're praying according to Jesus' will, that you're in alignment with him in obedience. You're living a life of surrender. You're living a life of submission. You're living a life that's in alignment with Jesus Christ. Now, how do we get into alignment? You know, one of the big ways that we do it is through Bible reading and meditation on his word. How are you going to know the God who you're praying to if you don't know who he is, if you don't know his word? Because it's through God's word that he reveals his character. How are you going to know what to pray for and how to pray for if you're not actually in God's word. The best thing you can do to get answers to your prayers is to spend time in your relationship with God. Notice Moses had a growing intimate relationship with the Lord. In fact, in the very next chapter, chapter 33, verse 11, it says this, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, no mask. Face to face, listen to this, as one speaks to a friend. Listen, if you want to get more answers to prayer, don't focus on your answers to prayer. Focus on the one whom you pray to. And the Holy Spirit will teach you how to pray. Okay, four ways to pray in a crisis from this scripture passage. Number one, tell God exactly what you want him to do. Verse 12, Exodus 32. Moses um, said to the Lord, turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Notice Moses did not mince words with the Lord at all. It was clear, direct, sincere, and bold. When you begin to say prayers that are clear, sincere, direct, and bold, you will get some answers to prayer. I think we overly complicate prayer. Prayer is not about fancy words or phrases. You know, sometimes I'm asked things like, well, is it proper that I kneel while I pray, sit, or stand? Um, should I pray in my mind, or should I pray out loud? Should I put my prayers in a journal? Is it legal to put my prayers in a journal and write them out? Well, should I keep a prayer list? Or is it okay not to keep a prayer list and just pray as, you know, God brings people to mind? My answer is always the same, yes. Yes, it's okay to stand, it's okay to sit, it's okay to kneel, unless you've had knee surgery, sit or stand. 
It's okay to write out your prayers. It's okay not to write out your prayers. It's okay to pray out loud. It's okay not to pray out loud. It's all okay. I love Philippians 4, 6, and 7 because of its crispness. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Don't overcomplicate it. Number two, pray with some emotion and passion. Verse 11, chapter 32, But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God and said, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? If you're going to get answers to prayer when you're in a crisis, you're going to have to put some emotion and some passion behind them. Let me ask you a question. How do you think Moses said to the Lord, why should your anger burn against your people? Did he do it stoically? Why should your anger burn against your people? Or did he say it with some intensity? That's a good word, intensity. Ladies, let's say you've been dating this nice guy for months, and you're wondering, you know, where this relationship is going. You're, you're thinking that maybe one day he pops the question to you. And one day you're sitting down at dinner and he goes, Will you marry me? You know what I'd be thinking? Man, can you get some passion behind that? Like, are you excited about marrying me or what? I don't know. You want to do life together? Yeah. You know, Holly and I were watching the movie the other day, Pride and Prejudice. You know, the one with Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. And we've watched it dozens of times, but it's been years since we watched it, and it just came up on Netflix or whatever, so I decided, you know, we're, we're just going to watch it, right? So we get down to this part. It's the apex of the movie. Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy have been hitting and missing each other in relationship, the pride and the prejudice. And they get down to this moment where she's standing out in a field early in the morning, and Mr. Darcy's aunt has come and really kind of raked her over the coals. And, and so Matthew McFadden is walking across this field. Beautiful piano music is playing in the background. Holly just stops what she's doing. And Mr. Darcy walks up to Elizabeth and says, You have bewitched me, body and soul. I lo love you. And I hear Holly say, I love you, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> and I thought, you know he's a character in Jane Austen's book. He doesn't exist. It was written in 1813. But she was like, don't rain on my parade. Have you noticed how easy it is when you pray to use the same well-worn phrases? month after month, year after year. You know that you're in a rut when your kids or a close friend can pretty much tell you what you're going to say in your prayer. Same phrases. It's kind of rote. It's kind of routine. I noticed that in my own life over the last several years, and um, one of the things that Jungmo has helped me to, to do, one of the ways that he's mentored me, is to help me pray better. And one of the things that he's taught is before you just launch out in prayer, why don't you pause for a moment and engage yourself and center yourself. And I find when I do that, when I engage my heart and my mind and I pray 
intentional prayer, I don't use as many well-worn phrases that are mindless, that just come out of my mouth without me even knowing it anymore. What well-worn phrases do you use? The Bible says that we should be praying with some emotion or intensity and passion. You pick whatever word you want to use. But basically, back in Bible times, they called that crying out to God. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. When was the last time you actually prayed with deep emotion? And desperation. Desperation is the currency of heaven. Number three, how to pray at a crisis, you remind God of his promises. This is exactly what Moses did. Verse 13, chapter 32. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own sake, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Did you know that God loves it when we remind him of things that he has said in the past? The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 62.6 says these words, Put the Lord in remembrance of his promises. Keep not silence. In other words, Isaiah is saying God invites us, God even commands us to remind us of his promises. Now, it's not like God has forgotten. Oh, yeah, a thousand years ago I said this. Hey, thanks for reminding me. That's not what God is doing at all. When God says, I want you to remind me of my promises, God wants you to bring to your attention the things that he has said in his word so that it will give you faith and hope so that you could say, God, will you do it again? So here's what I want you to do. There's about 8,000, 8,500 promises in the Bible. Most of them are directed towards you and I. Not all of them, but most. So here's what you do. You take about 8,000 of those promises and you pair them up with whatever crisis you're going through. So for example, if you're in a financial crisis, why don't you just simply claim Philippians 4.19. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. You just write that down on a 3x5 card and you just say to yourself, hey, I'm in a financial crisis and my God has promised me that he's going to meet all of my needs according to his riches and glory. What about this, if you're in a temptation crisis? What do you do? You pair up a scripture passage about a promise from God. How about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than what you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. There is no more, I just couldn't help myself. There's no more, I just had to yield to temptation. God says, oh no, when you're in a crisis of temptation, when you're in that hotel room in a city that nobody knows who you are and what you're doing, when you're in a position where you're alone in an office with a person of the opposite sex and you're like, you know, stop. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That's how I learned it from the New International Version. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's always a way out of a temptation. Your job is to press into God and find that way out. Hey, what if you're in a crisis because you don't know what to pray for or how to pray? Come on, how many of you have thought, I'm in a crisis, I don't even know how to pray or what to pray for? 
Why don't you think about Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps you in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. When you don't know what to pray for, you say to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to pray for, so you're going to have to pray for me and help me. Find a promise for your crisis and shape your prayer around it. That's what Moses did. Moses reminded God that he had made a covenant promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let me pause there for a moment. Do you notice something different about that phrase? Almost exclusively in the Old Testament, the patriarchs are called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not here. Why? Moses is slick. I mean, he knows. He doesn't say, God, you made a covenant promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You know why? Jacob means deceiver. Israel means one who wrestles with God and wins. In one word, you know what Moses was reminding God of? These are a stubborn, rebellious people. And they deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. But you gave mercy to Jacob. And you should give mercy again. Woo! Moses is in God's face, reminding him that, yes, these people don't deserve mercy, but you've given mercy before, and you ought to give it again. Thank you. And God relents and changes his mind. Four, be willing to be the answer to your own prayer. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now if you will only forgive them, but if not, erase my name in the record that you have written. Moses prayed for God not to destroy the Israelites, but the next day he came back to God and said, God, I, don't, I, I just don't want you to just not destroy the Israelites. I want you to forgive the Israelites. And by the way, if you don't forgive them, blot my name out of the book as well. You know what Moses was doing before there was ever a sacrificial temple system? Moses was making atonement for the people of Israel saying, take my life and spare them. Now God did not answer that prayer. He said to Moses, no, I'm not doing that. But I will forgive them. Moses was willing to be the answer to his own prayer. Are you? When you're in a crisis and praying for God to help you, part of the prayer for God to help you should be asking God, what is my role in this? What do I need to do to get myself out of a crisis? Sometimes we pray, oh Lord, heal my marriage. But what we're really saying is, oh Lord, change my spouse. Well, how can you change to be a better spouse? Oh Lord, please heal my body. Yep, you ought to pray that prayer. But are you eating right? 
Are you exercising? Are you taking your medication properly? You really don't have that much of a right to pray for God to heal you if you're not doing what you know to be doing. Lord, meet my friend's financial need. That's a good prayer to pray. But you also ought to be thinking, if you have excess, how could you be meeting your friend's financial need? Lord, heal our nation and all the unrest. Well, what are you posting on social media that may contribute to more unrest? Lord, send a spiritual awakening and healing to our nation. But have you drawn a circle around you and said, God, bring revival in this circle first? Because before you pray for a spiritual awakening in America, you ought to be praying for a spiritual awakening within your own heart Because here's how revival works. Revival begins in the house of God. It doesn't begin with unbelievers. You know, we're praying for a spiritual awakening. We're praying for revival to come across America. What we're really praying for is revival to come to the church. And when we talk about the church, we're not talking about an institution. We're talking about you and me. Revival still comes individually. So... Are you in a crisis this morning? Tell God exactly what you want Him to do. Pray for your marriage if it's in a crisis. Pray for your children if they're in a crisis. Pray for your finances if they're in a crisis. Pray for those who are sick. Pray for protection. Pray for a vaccine. Pray for parents and students and teachers that are going back to school. Pray for social unrest and racial uh, tension that we have in our country. Pray for the political divisiveness and bickering and the upcoming elections. Pray for people you know are struggling. Pray for yourself if you're struggling. Put your heart into it. Pray with intensity and passion. Hey, why don't you skip a meal? We call that fasting. Why don't you get a megaphone? You know what skipping a meal is? It's putting a megaphone to your voice and saying, God, I I care this much about it that I'm going to actually deny myself of something. Three, Remind God of his promises. I've been praying over our country, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land and forgive their sin. Four, ask God if I'm the answer to my own prayer. God may say, no, I don't want you to write that check to your friend. That's not your job this time. God may say, no, I don't want you to do that. But listen, here's the key. Are you willing to be in that position of being open to whatever God wants you to do in the prayer that you're praying? Let's bow our heads together. Father, right now, We pray for every person who's watching online and in this room for whatever crisis they are facing. We pray for our country. We are in a deep crisis on many levels. We need your help. Have mercy. We do not deserve your grace as a nation, but we're asking for it because you are a good and loving God. Father, we are asking for you to have mercy on us. Father, we want to remind you of promises 
that you have made to nations and to people. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. If we will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, you'll bring healing and forgive our sins. And God, show us today, individually, within our family systems, how we can be the answer to our own prayers and the healing of this nation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.